try to make sure this thing doesn't roll off the platform. I'm a little troubled right now. All right. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? Matthew chapter 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would speak, that you would open up our hearts to who you are and who we are in you. Lord, today's message is, it's easy to grab a hold of in our minds and very difficult for our hearts. Open our hearts to your love. Please, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, we've been doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount called Life in the Kingdom. And I got to thinking about what God is speaking to our church. And in the last two months, we have had four messages that have said, very close to the same thing. Joel preached on the need for humility. Greg preached on the problem with pride. The first in this series was the poor, on, poor in spirit and um, our, our need to, to, to embrace our dependence on God. And then there was a message on meekness and letting go of arrogance, letting go of our own control. And what, what, it, what is God speaking to our church, and why would he say the same thing four times? Well, here's the difficulty we can be a Christian for real, be a Christian, but live like an American. And then Christianity doesn't work. We can live in, and, and there's good things in American culture, but there's some bad things too. And that we can live independent, we can live entitled, we can live filled with ourselves and our own agenda and our own pride and our own arrogance. And we can actually be a Christian, but if you live in the wrong culture, you are like a fish out of water. You are still alive, but you're flopping around and it's not working and it can be confusing. Why isn't Christianity working for me? You, we need to embrace God, God's ways. We need to embrace 
the how Jesus said the kingdom of God works and then it is it is our breath God is our breath and the the spirit of God and the things of God flow very easily when we are in that water of humility and dependence and meekness and um so it's it's really really important and it's, it's hard for Americans because this is so much part of our, our culture. And so that, that gets into the church. But here is the funny thing about the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. One of the main themes is confidence. One of the most important things about flourishing in the kingdom is confidence. So God tears down arrogance and independence, but at the very same time, he wants to raise up within our hearts confidence. Confidence, it turns out, it's very different than arrogance. Confidence honors God and glorifies God in an amazing way. And so I want to talk about life in the kingdom. This is our final sermon on uh, life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom, confidence. And I only have two points. Number one is confidence in our position. Sometimes we become disgusted with our own pride, with our own selfishness, with our own self-seeking. We get close to God, we see how ugly our own agenda is, our own manipulation, and we pray a prayer, something like this prayer. God, God, you are everything, make me nothing, and you be everything. You be, get me out of the way. I don't, I don't even want to make me like nothing so that you can be everything. And that prayer, it's a, it's a, it's a popular prayer in prayer meetings. And it's, it's often prayed with great passion. Here's the, here's the problem with that prayer. If God wanted to make you nothing, he wouldn't have created you. God actually wants to make us something. He wants to make us favored sons and daughters of God. He he wants us to know that he created us for this, that he died to make us this, and he wants us to actually have confidence that we are favored sons and daughters. The Pharisees were very offended that Jesus used the term father about God. They they felt like it was presumptuous. They felt like you, you can't treat God in that familiar of a way. And they were offended by his use of father when referencing God. But Jesus went way beyond calling God his father. He encouraged us to call God Father. He said, close that inner door and your Father who sees in secret, your Father who sees you in secret, your Father will reward you openly. When you pray, pray this way, our Father. 
He wanted us to call God Father. He wanted us to know God as Father. In John chapter 20, when he rose from the dead and Mary Magdalene um, grabbed a hold of him and he said, he said to Mary, he said, I am ascending, listen to what he says, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I want you to see that Jesus came, died, and rose from the dead so that you and I could own God, so that we could own him as our father, so that we could call him not just Jesus' father, but our father. Not just our corporate father, but even this individual, my father. He, this is what he wanted. This is what he came for. It's almost as if he anticipated our reluctance to grab a hold of this. Listen to what he says in John 16, verse 26. He says, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. <laughs> In that day, guys, don't, don't go there. I know what you're thinking. I'm safe, but the Father's dangerous. And so you'll ask me and then I'll ask Father. He says, no, that's not why I came. I came to bring you to the Father. I am the way to the Father. The Father himself dearly loves you. You're not going to talk to me, and then I'll talk to him on your behalf. You're going to talk to him. You're going to come with confidence before him. You are dearly loved by him. And this is going to be the engine of your Christianity. The Father wants to hear your voice. Jesus says that the Father already knows what you need before you ask him. So why ask him? If he already knows, if he already knows our needs, why do we have to ask him? Mm. See, the Father wants to hear our voice. He wants to hear our voice. Listen to this. This is Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus said, when you close that door to the inner room and it's just you and God, a great adventure begins. You are going to ask, you are, you, and, and you're going to find he wants to hear your voice. He, he, you're going to seek him and he's going to reveal himself because he loves it when you come to him. You're going to knock for other people and, and, and doors are going to open for them because you prayed, because God wants you to know, the Father wants you to know that he 
hears your voice. Jesus warns us about losing our voice in religion. He says the Gentiles think that the way to God is through many, many words. Don't, don't, you don't have to go on and on and on and on and, and somehow pray through some type of ritual. It, it, it's not about earning something through your prayer. What God's looking for is honesty. He's looking for an honest prayer. He's looking for something that's real, something that's genuine, something that's from the heart. You, you want to get a feel of prayer that God wants. Re- read the Psalms. David is just, David is all in and he's very authentic and very real and God wants us to be real. He wants us to be authentic. Let me, let me just read to you Song of Songs 2.14. Listen to this. My dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. It is human nature to hide from God. It is human nature to hide. One of the places we hide is religion. And we just mouth words. We mouth the same thing over and over again. We can come, you can come here and mouth these songs. And just, they're just mouthing songs. But you're not engaged. You're not, it's not honest. It's not real. He wants to hear your voice. Don't lose your voice. Don't hide your shame. Don't hide in shame. Don't hide from God. God comes looking for us. And it's funny that one of the places he looks for us is in religion. That's not how it works. Your father loves you. He loves your voice, not your pastor's voice, not you repeating somebody else's or what you think might be pleasing to God. No, he wants to hear you. Well, I'm not good at it. Perfect. Perfect. Just come how you are and be authentic. Few, a few weeks ago, we were at a prayer meeting, and I asked Nathan to do this song again this morning. You dance over me while I'm unaware. That one. You, you sing all around, though I never hear the sound. And it was funny, because that specific Tuesday night... We had the prophetic team leading, and I had purposed, let these people lead. You've asked them to lead. Don't say anything tonight. And so I'm, I'm just planning on being a fly on the wall, and I'm not going to do anything or say anything. And Nathan is doing this song, and I have this encounter with God, and it was just so clear and so real. I shared briefly um, what I saw. And here's what it was. This son who is an athlete, and he's a star athlete, but the one guy that he wants to please, the one guy that he wants affirmation from of his dad, and his dad, for whatever reason, is unable to give it to him. And he's just, he's so wounded and so insecure because he can never, it's never good enough for dad. And then dad dies. And at the funeral, he finds out 
That his dad is so delighted in him that he tells his buddies at the coffee shop all the time, and that's all he talks about is you. And he, you were his delight, and it's, it's, it's like it's too late. The one person he needed to hear it from, he couldn't hear it from. And that this is, this is oftentimes us. For whatever reason, it's very hard for us to hear directly from God that he delights in us. It's hard to hear it from, can hear it from a preacher. That's the equivalent of hearing it to somebody's friend at the coffee shop. From, from the father's friend at the coffee shop. That's you hearing it from a preacher. You need to hear it directly from God. I mean I delight in you. I delight in you. You are my beloved. I sit down and Chris Lancer pops up and, and he says, uh, this is, he, he, he went away for a week. It was the week earlier. It was one week ago. He said, I'm just going to read you, read you what I wrote in my journal. He was getting alone with God and God spoke to him and said this, Chris, I delight in you. And Chris said, I just, I just fought it and just said, God, no, no, I, I'm trying to delight myself in you and, and I, I want to be a delight to you. But And then the Lord spoke to him and said, Chris, until you believe I delight in you, you're going to struggle to receive my love. You need to be comfortable with the fact that God delights in you just how you are. I want to read Zephaniah 3 to you. Oh, it was funny. Then Matt Collins got up and he said this. He said, some of you, every time you come before God, you are reminded of what you owe him. And so you can never enjoy being with him. You get with him and it's like, God, I owe you 30 quiet times. God, I, God, I, I am aware. Thanks for, thanks for being here. I, I realize that I owe you 30, or I owe you back ties, or I owe you, owe you. And Matt said this, that's not how God thinks about it. You don't owe him. You don't owe God. No one wants to be with somebody that you're in debt to. And when you're with them, you think that they're thinking about how much you owe them. It's really hard to enjoy that person. You don't owe God. It's not about that. Matt said, it's about he loves you and he just wants you to love him and be with him. And Pastor Tom, I thought we did owe God. No, no. Under the law, we did. Under the law, we owed God obedience. Frankly, we owed him obedience from the heart, which is perfect obedience. And none of us could pay that debt. <laughs> that debt we owe to his righteousness, none of us could pay it. And so we were on God's bad side. We were, we were in a place of judgment. So God himself, and this was the plan all along, came down to this earth, paid our debt for us, lived a perfect life from the heart, perfectly righteous without sin, 
and then died in our place. The wages we owed to sin was death. And Jesus paid our wages for us in perfect love. He didn't do it because he had to. He freely did it because he loved us. And a right response to the gospel is that we freely now live lives of gratitude. We live lives where we give him everything, not because we owe him, but because we love him. This is what Jesus died for. I want to read to you Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Take a moment. Why can't we, why do we have to be unaware that he's dancing over us? Why not just be aware of it? Why not hear the song that is surrounding us? We try to hear that song and we try to believe that and this voice rises up, but what about this weakness and this sin and this failure and, and, and this, this accusation comes up that says, no, it can't be. And it says that his love will calm your fears. That he says, no, no, it is. Yeah, yeah, that, you are weak. Yep, you have failed. Yep, you have come short in many ways. And I know all that, but I've died for you. I've died for you. I want the voice of accusation silenced. I want to calm all of your fears with my love for you. Sing this with me. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Just. Lord, I pray for your beloved sons and daughters. Lord, for some reason we think that what you're thinking about is how we failed. What you're really thinking about is that we're here. We got back up. 
We're seeking to honor you. And your heart is thrilled. Lord, take away our dishonesty. We give it to you, Jesus. Let us hear the song you're singing over us, I pray. Confidence. Confidence in our position. Behold. Behold, John says. Behold means to keep in front of your eyes. Behold such love that we should be called the children of God. And then he says this, and such we are. We're not just called the children of God. We actually are the children of God. What may seem misty now, what may seem foggy right now, it will be a reality one day and it will be seen very clearly for what it is. Behold such love. Secondly, confidence in his provision. This is, I only have two points today. So God is the provider. And it's funny because he is the provider for everybody. Those that acknowledge him, don't acknowledge him. The rain falls on the believing and the unbelieving. He is, he is the one that pays everybody's bills at the end of the day. It's all his. It's all the money in the world belongs to him. He is the ultimate provider. One, one day money that is so valuable down here will be seen exactly like Monopoly money is seen now once you put the game away. It's like, I mean, while you're playing with it, it might seem important, but once the box is put away, you don't try to use Monopoly money down at the grocery store. You realize none of that doesn't work here. One day God's going to put the, put the box away and all of our money will mean absolutely nothing. It will be seen that that wasn't its purpose. It wasn't our provider. God was our provider all along. And we were to learn things through money and through the test of money. First, God uses provision to draw us to himself and to heal our relationship with him. Psalm 46.1, one, one of my favorites you are an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I don't believe in foxhole conversions. I do. I do. This is oftentimes when people find God. <laughs> when they're in the foxhole. When, the, when it's desperate. When they get to a place where they're so desperate that they, they cry, they're so desperate they're willing to cry out to God. And then it's very surprising to them, how God meets them. In 1986, I was an investment broker in Madison and working on straight, straight commission, 100% commission. We had, Alice and I had just one child at the time. We were renting an apartment in uh, McFarland and, and it was very, very tight, very tight. In August of that year, I had it planned. I had it planned just to the penny that I would get my commission check 
uh, and we would be able to pay rent. And, and, and I had that all set up and so that I was free to go to camp. And Alice and I both went to camp, went to youth camp, and we were counselors and had a great week of God's glory and outpouring at youth camp, serving our, our youth group here. And um, we get back and I go to pick up my check. There is no check. In fact, there is a statement saying that money that they had paid me earlier, and frankly, it, it was like months earlier, they had overpaid me, and I told them they overpaid me, and I tried to get them to correct it, and they assured me, no, there's no mistake, this is what you were supposed to get, and finally, months later, they find the mistake, and so it took up all of the money I was supposed to get, and now I, I still owe them money. I mean, this is really really bad. Plus, I've been at camp, so I haven't been able to work. And when you're on straight commission, man, it's very real. You, you, the way you get paid is you working. There is no fuzziness with that. There's no guarantees. And, and so I was in a very, very tight place. And uh, I left a message with our landlord and told him the mix up. And he, he immediately got back to me and let me know that he was not running a charity. And that this needed to be paid or, or he would move on. Um, I think he was having a bad day. But, I mean, it was very, very strong language. And uh, I'm, I'm just out of college. All my friends are as broke as I am. Um, so I did the unthinkable. I called my dad. We were raised in a very, uh, we were very strong on responsibility in our home. And, and you work for it, and you don't look for a free anything. And um, so I'd never asked my dad. I didn't really know how to relate to my dad, frankly. He was, he was raised in the Depression, and so he wasn't, he was a very internal person. He didn't share a lot unless he was disappointed or angry, then he shared plenty. Um, but other than that, we didn't, I didn't really know where I stood with my dad, and I didn't know what he would think about this failure. And so I, I, I was forced. I, I called my dad, and I just honestly laid it out. This is what happened. This is why it happened. It's my fault. My dad was so excited about me asking him. And he said, I'm going to give you a gift for what you owe. And I want to give you a loan that you pay back whenever you want to to keep you guys going for a while. And it was, it wasn't the money that healed me. It was his delight in giving the money. It was the way he gave the money. It was so surprising to me. I didn't know how my father felt about me. I didn't know that he was filled with mercy for me and he wanted to help me. In Hebrews chapter 4, it, it says in verse 15 that, that Jesus is our high priest and he has great sympathy for everything we're going through. 
And then it says in verse 16, so therefore, come with confidence before the throne of grace. Here it is. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Confidence. Do you see the throne thing? Why don't, why don't people come with confidence before a throne? Thrones are usually for judgment. <laughs> Th- throne, throne, the throne means I'm coming before the king and that's going to be a place of judgment. Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made the throne of God not a fearful place of judgment. Jesus has taken our judgment and it's made approaching God's throne a place where we can be confident that we can bring our need and that he wants to give us mercy. Mercy. How many know mercy is what you don't deserve? Mercy isn't because you've been good. Mercy is, is and, and then grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve and grace is, what you, is, is getting what you don't deserve. And God uses our very needs to heal us. He surprises us. That's not how I thought God was. Hmm? You thought wrong. God uses provision to draw us to himself, to heal our relationship with him. Secondly, he uses our giving to increase our confidence in him. so wants he is a giver he's a generous giver and he so wants us to emulate that about him in this world that is afraid and holding on that he laces his promises he laces giving our giving with promises he puts the mother load of promises in our giving here's the first one that he gives or, or let me give you the first promise that he will break our slavery in through our giving he breaks slavery to the fear of not having enough let me read matthew 16 i'll read a lot of matthew 6 uh, 19 through 21 24 and 31 through 34 listen to these words don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also be no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other you will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. What dominates the people of this world and the culture of this world is fear. 
Fear of not having enough money. Money is like God. It's, it's the provider. It's, it makes the, it's our decision maker. And I've got to make sure that I have enough so I'm constantly afraid. And Jesus says, listen, when you give, I will break the fear. I will break the enslaving fear that money has. And so he says, Whatever you give your money to, your heart is going to follow. Your, 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 your heart will follow your treasure. And I will break money's hold on you by that which you, when you give. When you give to my things, when you give to, to, to my causes, I am going to release your heart from the slavery where money says, I, I rule. And God says, no, I rule. There's plenty. There's plenty for today. You don't have to live that way. The Father knows you have needs. You, you seek first. You are free to seek first his righteousness and his kingdom and his things. And all these other things are going to be taken care of. And it's not just today's needs, tomorrow's needs. I am going to provide for you. You are free from money's power. One of the first times that I went on a missions trip, we were down, I was down in Argentina with Tom Alexander and he took me around to preach at different churches and we were in this very poor church and uh, the offering was going by. And uh, I had some pesos and I had a $50 bill. And I really felt like the Lord was telling me to give that $50 bill. And I'm like, this, this would be reckless. I don't, this is... I, it's just reckless to not have any money. To be in a foreign country, we all know the credit cards sometimes don't work. And to have no cash, it just seemed very reckless. But I couldn't get away from this, give this $50 bill. And I'm like, all right. Offering goes past. I put a $50 bill in there and whatever happens is going to happen. So it's after the service, we're having, uh, we go back to the little pastor's office and Tom is talking with him and they're saying a bunch of stuff in Spanish and the pastor gives Tom an envelope <clears throat> and Tom gives it to me. He said, this is for, this is for preaching today. I'm like, I don't want, I don't need to get, he said, no, they, this is good. This is a poor church. It's very good for them to give. So we get out to the car and I open up this envelope and it's that $50 bill. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I, no, I'm, I'm just like, this, this isn't the same $50 bill I put in. Lord, this is like, this is as if I hadn't even put it in. And immediately I knew, no, no, no. It may seem like that. But, but you are freer from your money because you gave it, and they're freer from their money because they gave it back to you. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and then secondly, he, he converts our money into heavenly treasure. Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And this is not the only place in Scripture. There are several places where God encourages us to be generous because we're storing up treasure in heaven. The principle in Scripture is very clear. You, you can't take it with you. 
naked we came out, naked we're going back. You can't take anything with you, but you can send it ahead through giving, through giving to God's things. What does that look like? What does treasure in heaven even mean? Honestly, I have no idea. I really, I really, I really don't have any idea of what that will practically mean. But here's one thing I know that it includes. People. Listen to Luke 16, 9. It's kind of an obscure passage. Jesus says, I tell you, and I'm not going to go into the whole parable, but I'm just going to give you the, 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 the conclusion. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We've got money for a very brief time. Use it while you have it. And you will gain friends for yourselves so that when you are in heaven, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What on earth is that about? Well, here's the thing. Down here, no one knows, no one knows what we give. We give privately. We give secretly. At this church, I don't know what anybody gives. I, the only person that knows is the person that has to give you the tax statement for the government. But up there, everyone will know. And the, the stark reality is, is the way we use our money will affect how many souls come into the kingdom of God. When, when this church wins souls, it's everybody is part of that. Everybody that's giving to this church, supporting this church. When, when missionaries win souls, everybody that supported those missionaries, when, when, when we give to the poor and their hearts are warm to God, and, and those things, are, they're, all, they're all part of the kingdom of God. And up there, people will know. And they will say, oh my, when it was tough, when it was tight, you gave... You're a hero in my eternal dwelling, my eternal home. Come on. I mean, I think we'll be welcomed in all dwellings in heaven just because we're commanded to love each other, but um, there's going to be a real party for those that have sacrificed so that other people could make it to heaven. And then thirdly, so, so, so first, he uses our giving to break slavery, to fear. Second, he converts our money into heavenly treasure. And thirdly, he gives back to us a confidence of abundance because we trusted him in our giving. Let me read, this is from the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's Gospel. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This whole idea of giving and it returning. Jesus uh, and Paul refers to it as it's like sowing seed that is going to have a harvest. It It will come back. And God wants us to give knowing that we're not losing that that we're trusting him and and that god's got plenty and many of jesus's lessons to his disciples were about abundance the the five thousand and then there's 12 left over and the the wine runs out and there's an abundance of wine and jesus wants his children his favored sons and daughters that are serving him to know there's an abundance there's an abundance and you're free to give freely receive freely give 
So, 2004. It's November. I'm in Montevideo, Minnesota. It is just about time for the cold weather to come. It's already starting to come. It's not quite snowing yet, but it's raining. It's been raining for three straight days. I'm sitting in my office. I will never forget this because of the crisis. I'm sitting in my office, and I get a call from my beloved wife. It is the call that no homeowner wants to get. And she says, Tom, it's raining in the house. I'm like, honey, what what does that even mean? She said, I'll tell you what it means. It means that I'm in our bedroom right now and I'm watching water drip from our ceiling onto our bed. That's what it means. And I'm like, I'll be right home. And I am, I am doing the math in my head. There, this is not a broken pipe. There's no pipes up in our attic. This is water that has come through the roof into our attic. And then I'm trying to think of how much water would have to be in the attic for it to make it all the way through the attic into our ceiling. And I'm just like, this is, this is horrible. This is a big, big problem. And so I get home and everything is as bad as I thought it was. And um, I am, I'm just like, we've got one kid in college. We've got three at home. I'm a, it's a single income pastor's salary. We have no extra money, but this is, this is a, this is a crisis. And so I have a, a guy who's a builder, um, price out what it would be to re-shingle. It's, a, it's an old Victorian, so it's got all these peaks and all these things. And the, one guy, the first guy that came in, it was, it was over $12,000 to repair that roof. And this is just to take the shingles off and put new ones on. And, and he was clearly saying, I don't want to do this job. Sometimes a contractor does that. They just say, I don't want to do this. And they give you a price. That's so anyway, the guy in our church priced it and it was $5,800, $5,800, which, you know, that's, that's less than half of what the other guy had bid. But how many know that 5,800 is a lot of money if you don't have any money? And, uh, and he looked at it, he went up there and he said, you, you can't, you can't patch this. I mean, he said you could, but it, winter is coming. This is a very bad leak and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And, um, you really need to replace this. And so I, I shut the the inner room door and had a talk with my father in heaven. I said, God, you know that I am yours. You know that I've given you this house long ago. This is your house. I am living in your house. And God, I want you to know something. Your roof is leaking. Your roof is leaking, God. Your your roof is leaking, and it's really expensive to repair this thing, and I don't have any money, but 
I'm a tither. I'm, I tithe and beyond. And Lord, you gave a, pr- a promise. I'm reminding you of your promise, Malachi 3, 10 and 11, that if I would tithe, that you would open up the windows of heaven, you'd pour out a blessing on me that I couldn't e- even contain, and that you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. This is your promise, God. I said, now I, I have to make a decision really quickly as to whether to hire them or not. And, and I, here's what I said to him. I said, I'm, I'm going to hire them tomorrow unless you tell me very clearly between now and then to not do it. But I want you to know that three weeks from now, if I can't pay that bill, it's your name that is going to look back. I, I'm living for your name. I haven't been living for the honor of my name. I'm living for your name. You're going to look really bad. <laughs> so go ahead and stop me if you want to. But this is, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. So the next day comes. I don't have any warning not to do it. So I, I hire this guy. that we don't have. So I'm going to just give you the numbers because I wrote them down in my journal at the time of what happened in the next three weeks. So the first thing that happened is uh, my insurance guy who went to our church came out and uh, I told him the problem and and, and I said, he he went up there and he said, you know what? He said... uh, there is some hail damage here. He said it's, it's from a storm, obviously, long ago. I mean, we had been in the house eight years. It was before eight years ago. He said, but I just, I really think you should submit a claim. Even though we're not saying it happened recently, I think you should submit a claim. And so we submit this claim, and the insurance company comes back, and here's what they want to make sure that, that they're not liable for. They don't want to have to, if the damage is really extensive, they don't want to reconstruct the wood and everything. So they just say, if this is what we'll, this is what we'll do for you. And you sign off any liability. And so they gave us a check after our deductible for $3,067. Well, then I back out of our driveway one of those mornings. And I'm leaving very early in the morning. And our, our driveway, you had to kind of bend out of the driveway. And I'm bending out of the driveway and I run into something. The guy that was re-shingling the roof stacked all of the shingles on the side of our driveway. I ran into the new shingles. Disaster, right? Well, it turns out the only thing that got damaged was the quarter panel in our van. The shingles were fine. Our car insurance company paid us $727 for the damage to the van, and somebody in our church that fixed things fixed it for free. So now I've got $3,067, and I've got the $727 from this car insurance. Then my wife does this women's retreat, and they unexpectedly decide right at the last minute that they're going to have an offering for her, and $495 is given in the offering. I did a funeral. The f- grieving family gave me a gift of $150. And then we received an inheritance check 
from a relative that had died a year earlier for $1,256. The Sunday before it was due, the church had a Christmas offering for the pastors, and the part I got was $900. If you add all of these numbers up, it adds up, this is in three weeks' time, to $6,595. Out of that, I gave a $660 tithe, which left me with $5,938. Paid the bill, $5,800, had $135 left. Why, did God not know the math? No. No. That was, that was leftover. God, God knows math. He knew there were 5,000 people, but he wanted to make a statement about the leftovers. There's more than enough. Would you mind, uh, the worship team will come up. Could you close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads and maybe you're here this morning, you came through the ice and the snow and um, here you are. Whatever need you may have, the greatest need that we all have is to be forgiven. The greatest need that all of us have is for a Savior. God saw our great need and came down and provided a sacrifice himself. Jesus said this to his disciples, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is why Jesus came. He wants to forgive us. He wants to make us favored sons and daughters. But the Bible says that Jesus only stands at the door and knocks. And he says these words, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to them. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He's here today speaking, knocking. But then he waits if anyone, doesn't matter what your past is, what your religion is, what your sins have been, what your failures are, if anyone hears my voice, owns their own need for me, and opens the door and says, Lord, please come in, I will come in. And maybe this morning, however you got here this morning, you know that God is knocking on your life. You might not know why you know that, but you just know that he is knocking. Whatever other need you've got, God wants to take care of that too, but this is the greatest need. And if this morning you're here and you, you want to open the door and say, please, Jesus, come in and save me. Be my savior. I've got every head bowed and every eye closed because this is between you and God. The reason why I have people raise a hand is somebody help me open my door and I'd love to help you open your door just by praying a prayer. So if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, could you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? I see that hand and that hand. God bless you. You could put those down. Anybody else by upraised hand? I got you, bro. Anybody else by upraised hand? Got you, sir. God bless you. You can put that one down too. Awesome. I'd like those that had that raised their hands just slip that hand over your heart right now and pray something honest to God just like just like this 
Lord, I know, I know that I'm a sinner. I, owe, I own my need to be saved. I own my need to be forgiven. But I also own today your love for me. I own that you came to this earth and died on the cross and rose again from the dead for me. That you are knocking on my life. You've been knocking on my heart. You have patiently been waiting for me. And today, Lord, by faith, I open my door. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me and wash me and cleanse me and make me your own. I receive now your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could we all stand together? The second call is much more general. There is a need in your life. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's relational, maybe it's financial, maybe it's it's one of those needs that you thought God wasn't interested in because it's too small and with world hunger and, and, and ISIS and that God must be about the big, huge concerns of this world. Folks, he absolutely is about those concerns, but he's also counted the number of hairs on your head. And with some of you, that count is going down every day. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. All right. Um, it's certainly mine. The point is this, he knows everything and he's way more delighted to intervene in our very practical needs than we thought he was. So if that's you, would you just open your arms like this, the receive position, we're going to pray. Lord, before any of us came into this building, you knew every need in this house. You know every relationship that has been broken or that is struggling right now. You know every bill that is unpaid. Lord, you know every pain. You you know every physical thing that's going on. And then, God, you don't just know that. You also know all of our fear. You know every fear we have of not just today's provision, but of tomorrow's provision. And what are we going to do? And what are we going to do? And Father, would you come today and deliver us from all of our fears? Psalm 34, I just want to give you this verse. It says this, this poor man cried to the Lord and the Lord delivered him from all, all his troubles. Big trouble, little trouble, I just cried to the Lord and the Lord delivered me from all of my trouble. Psalm 50. You will honor me by calling on my name and letting me deliver you. Psalm 50 verse 15. So Lord, here we are. You're needy people. We call on you, Jesus. We call directly to you, Father. In Jesus' name, please set your people free. And Father, I pray for your peace that passes all understanding. That even now, even before we see the outward answer, even now that that peace that passes all understanding would guard over every heart and every mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. God bless you, friends. We're going to have ministry teams up here. And if you'd like more prayer, come on down. Otherwise, have a great day.